Hi, I'm Ashley Nichols. I'm Casey Boyd-Swan. And this is the Growing Democracy Podcast, a space for citizens, experts, and advocates to create community together. Each week, we invite a guest to talk about civic engagement, governance, and how to grow our democracy. This episode is part of our series on the power of political and civic engagement. We're talking with local elected officials, public officials, and community activists to learn more about what civic and political engagement means to them and how they're involved in their communities. Yes, we are. And today uh, we had a very special podcast episode. Uh, if When you're listening to this, which will be um, a week from, a little over a week from when we're recording it, then you missed the live stream of it on Twitch. <laughs> and it's so obvious that we were on Twitch. <laughs> you'll hear um, references to people commenting in the chat. Yeah. Um, it was a lot of fun. And uh, it, it was a little bit longer, I think, than normal because we did have chats from outside, but also because we had from some technical issues. Uh, ironically, though, not with Squadcast. <laughs> right. We did fantastic with the Squadcast uh, tech. Um, there was just some some sound issues on the live stream, but um, f- more than likely, you won't catch shows in the in the podcast because uh, they'll be edited out. But um, know that those were there. <laughs> some no, fun, maybe that's some fun hiccups. Maybe, maybe it's showing our age that we're not good with technology. Maybe gaming and technology are for the young. <laughs> yes. I, I've come to the realization over the last few months that I can no longer claim that I am young. I have, I've hung on to that for so long. Uh, but so I want to, I want to make sure that we have that opportunity as opposed to going down the Ashley is old pathway. I would rather steer us towards Casey. Why were we on Twitch and why did we do a live? Yeah, our lovely student interns, um, Ben and Emily, told us that we should do a uh, live streamed episode. And we said, okay, which was, I don't know, foolish. (laughs) Maybe it was good. (laughs) Who knows? And so we decided to do it. but, But we decided to do it on Twitch. And since we were doing it on Twitch, I suggested, I don't know why I did this, hey, we should do it on gaming because a lot of gaming stuff is live streamed on Twitch. And what could be more natural than talking about <laughs> the confluence of gaming and politics. So uh, luckily somehow we knew somebody who could talk about that. Yeah. So I'm, I'm really fortunate to know Dan Graber uh, who is a student in um, the political science department. I work with him. Uh, I have worked with him over the last few years as he's kind of thought about his his research interests. Um, so we're really excited to have with us today um, Dan Graber. Um, Dan is a doctoral student at Kent State University, and his current work is concerned with the effects that gaming communities and video games have on political attitudes and behavior. He's a self-described lifelong gamer, um, and we're we joined him um, live when we were doing the podcast um, in his home uh, at in, in Kent, Ohio, uh, where he lives with his wife, Mary Kate, and their three cats, Oliver, Cinnamon, and Sam. So happy to have you with us today, Dan. Good to be here and good to be on Twitch, I suppose. <laughs> on both, double platforms, yeah, right? True, true. <laughs> so, Dan, obviously we know you, but for our listeners, can you tell us just a little bit about yourself, who you are, and what you're about? Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, uh, grew up in Ohio, did my undergrad here at Kent. I'm here at Kent now for grad school, American politics, if uh, that's worth it. Um <clears throat> Yeah, uh, my research interests, uh, really, I'm just uh, working on my uh, dissertation work now. And as Ashley described, I'm just really looking for those kinds of effects that the gaming community and the industry might have on people's politics. Other than that, uh, I mean, it was kind of a natural fit when I sort of figured out that that's what I wanted to do, because I'm, I'm, I'm just a huge nerd. 
I, I, I'd like to say that I wasn't as huge of a nerd as I am, but I am. And I guess I'm proud of it a little bit. <laughs> well, we're also nerds. Um, maybe our nerdiness is different, but we fully feel that. So it's not happenstance that we're podcasting um, and live broadcasting on Twitch. I would love for you to talk us through and talk our listeners through your research area. Like, what does it mean to study kind of gaming communities and political attitudes? What does that mean? Yeah, sure. So basically what I'm looking for is I'm kind of looking at these uh, two kind of different incidences within sort of the gaming community, right? The first one being sort of how these games might affect people in sort of a media sense, uh, how we might look in a similar way at how like news media or social media or movies or television might have an effect on a person's politics and political behaviors. Right. Uh, so the, the quick of it is just how video games might be affecting people in a similar way with the messaging that they have and the systems that they have within them, etc. And then the other side to what I'm sort of looking at is more seeing video games as uh legitimate sort of communities in and of themselves in the sense that anything that's a community might have an impact. And I would say do have impacts on people's politics, such as like religious organizations or workplaces, etc., or schools, even uh, for younger individuals. Um, and how the way that these individuals are interacting with each other within the gaming communities might affect their politics or spread politics or change their political behaviors. So I want to ask a real quick follow-up question, Dan, and please, if you don't want to answer, no problem. But just for our purposes, can you define for us political behavior and political attitudes? Yeah, I mean, uh, basically what I mean within this context for um, political behavior is uh, just kind of, uh, I guess, the low-level stuff. Who does a person vote for? Do they vote? Do they participate in local politics on sort of the smaller, more individual level? Do they donate to campaigns, right? And the other thing being attitudes uh, with just who specifically are they voting for? What things are they supporting as far as issues on bills go and et cetera? It's obviously a little bit more nuanced than that, but that's the, the real uh, quick and easy of it, if you will. So I, my question is why gaming and democracy, right? Or gaming and political action? Why, why those two things together? And I know, right, they're your two interests, but I, I, why do you see those things as uh, being important to study? Well, I guess I kind of have kind of have two answers to this. The, the one is... Uh, a little bit simple in the fact that I believe that this is a cultural space that is kind of up and coming and it's kind of growing and growing as the years go on. I think statistically, like most people play video games now and more and more people are as, you know, as time goes on. And so if something like this is big and important within the lives of individuals, it kind of makes sense that it might be big and important in their political lives. The other sort of side of it is there's a certain individual and personal quality to video games that it's part of why I find them interesting and part of what I enjoy about the games. And there's, at least in my opinion, there's a very, there's a very human aspect to playing video games that I think is part of why they're enjoyed by people. Uh, the social aspects of them um, is also kind of in the same vein. And in a certain way, I mean, video games are political and they always kind of have been. And I think that's, that's often kind of hard to hear for a lot of gamers, especially, is that video games are political because there's, there's a want to not think of video games as political, but they are because, you know, darn near everything is political. So when, when I, when I see these individuals and watch and listen and play with these people who want to sort of have this escapism of video games, right? That's, that's kind of the, the way they frame it. You know, they don't want to talk about politics. They don't want to think about politics. And in some ways I understand 
that desire of you know, not ha- wanting to have that escapism. But I mean, I, I guess it sounds a little depressing, but you can't escape it. Uh, the, the, the messages in these video games, the way you interact with people, the people you interact with as well is another thing that I am looking, kind of looking at it. It affects you. And yeah, that's pretty much, I guess it. Well, I appreciate that too. Right. Because right. So if you are in community with people, whatever that might be, and you're interacting with a similar content, that's shaping your interactions, that's shaping all sorts of things, right? Um, and so, I, you know, it's it's likely has some sort of relationship to how you also see the broader world and kind of how power is <laughs> understood and <laughs> who has it and so, so many things. Um, but on that point, you know, I think many folks, uh, I'm, I'm learning lately that I am definitely no longer young. (laughs) Um, And it might have something to do with my middle school age children who are downstairs listening to me and sending me text messages. They're also watching on Twitch. Um, So shout out to Tessa and Ella. Um, But right, so it's often thought that video games are for young people. And that's also paired with this kind of stereotype that young people aren't politically engaged, right? Or they're not they're not interested in politics. What are your thoughts on kind of those, you know, video games are for young people and, you know, therefore, if that's the assumption, they're probably not very interested in politics. I guess probably my first thought would be, I mean, clearly video games, not not that you're saying this, uh, but clearly video games aren't just for young people. I think part of that idea and the reason why people think that or might have that assumption is simply because uh, younger individuals are their early adopters, right? They seek out and effectively use the newest technologies arguably better than people who are significantly older than them. And video games are a technology. So you have to have the background, the uh, life experience to effectively utilize them. Um, you know, like my my uh, father is very staunchly against video games. He does not enjoy them even slightly. And uh, growing up, uh, he would always uh, beleaguer himself with uh, the fact that, you know, we wanted to play video games and he was always frustrated by that growing up. But it's because he didn't play video games growing up, right? But me and my brother and my sisters, we did, so nowadays we're more used to it so we play them more um i think as the years uh, go on and uh sort of my generation millennials um become older you're, you're gonna see a lot of gaming be more actively uh targeted towards an older audience as well i think that's just gonna end up being true within the industry and that's just an assumption that i probably have but I, I definitely don't think there might be some people who would think that uh, maybe part of the reason why young people don't uh, participate in politics or have an interest in politics is because they're interested in this technological world of video games and social media. And I mean, I don't necessarily think that's true. But I mean, I guess I guess I understand the sentiment though, uh, especially with how the video game community, at least parts of it, uh, want to actively portray themselves as apolitical or non-political. And it's it's very easy to sort of mesh those two points together of video games not being political and therefore the people playing them don't want to be political. But my sort of contention to that would be if you, if you look a little deeper and a little under the surface, um, you can actually find a decent amount of actually active and engaging politics in some of these spaces some spaces more than others definitely and i would say that there's uh, reasons for that um maybe i'll get around to talking to those it's it's one of my favorite parts of my current theorizing of what i do um um but there's i mean there's a lot of uh, other effects within the community and within the gaming industry as well that sort of have those kind of associations no, I mean, I'm, I'm curious and full disclosure, the, the biggest two video games I play are Animal Crossing and, uh, uh, you know, Dragon Quest Builder. So I'm not, I'm not one of those that I'm grinding away every weekend, you know, trying to take on the, on the, on the big boss. So 
a lot of my experience with video games comes from the fact that I have a spouse and I have a child that both play a lot of video games. Hey, Dharma. Hey, Brandon. So, and something struck me as very curious and, and it, and it struck me as curious when I was watching a few recent video games that my daughter was playing, but, but it's occurred to me before then. And so I guess I guess I'm curious about the ways in which video games seem to incorporate a, a lot of really kind of serious discussion about social issues. And, you know, especially those that uh, policy and government have failed to act on into, into this plot. Um, so, for example, just thinking about displays of like government corruption in Persona 5 um, or it, how in uh, Yakuza Like a Dragon takes on issues of homelessness, um, the treatment of immigrants or uh, sex work. Are these games outliers or are gamers increasingly drawn to games that actually do tackle issues of social justice? Yeah, I, I definitely wouldn't call them outliers because personally, from my experience as someone who actually is looking for these things, um, and kind of what I was saying before, uh, video games are often very political. Like They have those political messages already in them. And there's a few reasons for that. Uh, for example, just as another one, you look at a game like um, Wolfenstein, right? Uh, Wolfenstein is a game that literally has you fighting Nazis. I don't know what could possibly have more political messaging than that. Uh, it's it's a very political thing. Or it just any number of ones that also have it, uh, instances of like representation for just any and all communities. So to a certain extent, I think there's a very obvious... The, the very obvious reason of why that is true is because it's a certain connection factor with people. You know, you can't have a good story in anything, whether it be a movie, a television, or a video game, without there being a certain quality of human struggle or conflict, right? And we write and we like to experience things that we know. So when these uh, individuals are writing these games or coming up with stories, maybe they're fantastical in certain expressions uh, or they're science fiction and they're in the future or wherever have you. But the stories that they have are human because individuals and people like experiencing human stories because those are the stories that they can connect with and the ones that they can sympathize with. And I think the extension of that idea comes from the video game industry actively recognizing that the stories and the individuals who are playing games are in a sense evolving and growing so with those instances of uh social justice in video games and there's plenty more in, in uh, instances within other games in a sense i would say that a part of that is the industry just recognizing that these are human relatable stories and issues that people on some level care about and they put them in the games because they want people to care about their games because that makes for a good game because it makes for a good story and you know the inner capitalist of it is that increases sales so i mean that makes a lot of sense I, one of the things that you just said that kind of struck me was was talking about representation and it, it reminded me of there have been several recent events uh happen, happening at kind of this intersection of gaming and representation uh some of which seem to offer a lot of hope right while others maybe i don't know showcase a, a more problematic nature of the gaming industry so i it, it occurred to me right thinking of the last of us 2 how designers actually incorporated functionality into the game which would allow sight impaired and blind players to be able to play to me i mean is mind-boggling that 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 is such a cool thing to think of to do uh, in a video game and and how impactful that must be for folks that uh, really hadn't been able to experience a video game perhaps before. And then on the flip side, you know, and that the thing is that suggests to me that there's a desire to make gaming more accessible, right? And really inclusive. And then you the flip side, you have this, you know, Gamergate happening that centers on issues of sexism and anti-progressivism and video game culture. 
so I guess for me, I'm just curious, how do we make sense of these two things happening at the same time? I think, yeah, uh, I, I, I understand what you're talking about. And yeah, that can definitely be maybe a little frustrating or confusing. I, I know I feel that way at times. I think that the, the, the right distinction I would make, at least, is that there is this, I would say, gap or divide between the video game industry and the video game community or gamers. So if you look at video games as an industry, right, it's a very select group of people that are actually contributing, right? It's the producers, the companies themselves, the writers, the programmers, the artists, the voice actors, etc. But that's a very small sort of microcosm of uh, people. And when you look at the individuals who are playing these games, all of the individuals who are playing these games, those individuals are... uh, It's a a far wider net to cast, if you will. So... With those individuals, they are wildly different as far as levels of income go. They are wildly different as far as demographics that they belong to, like socioeconomic status, just a lot of things. And also, I would argue, ideologically speaking, I think the numbers probably hold up on this, that the individuals making games in sort of that Hollywood elite sort of mentality uh, would tend towards uh, liberal and progressive ideologies. And obviously they're going to do those things in their games. The amount of representation uh, within games has just, I mean, it's, it's exploded in like these last 20 years. I think that that's a good thing. And I think that that's worthwhile, but uh, this side of the gaming community has had a reaction to it. I'll call it a reaction. <laughs> um, so you have instances uh, like Gamergate, for instance. And I think the the important thing uh, with that and sort of, uh, the I guess, this, the sexism that was sort of on display of the gamer community within those events and other events as well, is that that can't be taken as the whole of the gamer community, right? And not that anyone necessarily is, but uh, taking it that way. But there is a section of what I'll call it of the gaming community that does lean more in sort of a conservative ideology, right? Just like would be true with any, you know, people who are fans of movies or sports or television. That's just, that's just true. That's just how the world works. And at the end of the day, um, when you have, uh, examples of things happening where those individuals get riled up, then they are the ones who are reactionary to it, right? And they're the loudest voices, so they're the ones that get heard. And I think it's it is a little unfortunate that, you know, there can be so much good that comes out of the gaming community. You look at like numbers for like um like charity Uh, money raised even here on twitch and you get some really impressive very you know heart filling numbers of people just giving lots of money to these worthwhile causes and just all of these good things like increasing technology within the video game industry for uh, accessibility purposes there's a lot of good that can come from the game community and i mean Good things they they don't they don't play as well on the nightly news or whatever you want to call it right it's 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 not as fun to listen to whereas you know people getting up in arms and reacting against things is you know it plays better they get they they get more voice but I I do think I do think things I, I like to believe things are improving I'm just thinking of examples in my head of where it was not so good in the past and now it's better I appreciate your your comments and it makes me think like as you're talking about like conservative ideologies and more progressive leaning I'm like that right there is like political attitudes right Right? like there seems to be some sort of correlation in terms of how people are approaching different things and how they're approaching gaming community so obviously it's political I love I mean I I appreciate that. So I want to kind of take us a little bit towards some recent news. So we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the subreddit um, Wall Street Bets and the idea that the subreddit thread 
would be a potential attempt to democratize stock trading. It's, uh, do you think that it was a coincidence that it was GameStop? Uh, oh goodness, GameStop <laughs> stock. That wasn't because I don't know GameStop. <laughs> 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 And I know this um, is your primary area, but I'm just really curious as to what your thoughts are on this. Probably my the best I can come up with as far as thoughts go is it it wasn't coincidental, but it was it was also in a different way. Uh, the best the best way I could describe of why GameStop, because at the end of the day, it, it probably could have been anything, um, any like uh, publicly traded company or whatever. As far as I've been able to tell from my own investigation looking into things is the the primary reason it was GameStop that was selected was because they thought it was funny um, they just it was literally a meme they it wasn't I mean some of it was them seeing that GameStop stock oh, that is a little hard, um, hard. Was, was perhaps a little undervalued I think some of this was, if I'm right, some of this was uh, generated with like COVID because pre-COVID GameStop stock was uh, probably pretty down because uh, lo and behold that people don't want to get, you know, a pittance for their used games and then go into some CD store when they can just buy everything online. You know, it's, it's, it's why Blockbuster went out of business, right? Um, so, so the GameStop was trending downward, but with uh, COVID sort of forcing everyone into their houses and in quarantine, etc. Um, there's been a massive increase in the uh, sales of video games and the video game industry in general. And to a certain extent, uh, I believe GameStop has benefited from that. So this Wall Street Bets subreddit uh, saw that to some extent, and then they just sort of uh, all sort of jumped together on the GameStop bandwagon and it just sort of took off from there. But I have seen and read that there are some people who would make the argument that part of it was uh, there is a certain overlap of communities, right? Uh, between Redditors, I guess you could say, and people who play video games. So, and this this might be wrong, uh, but it's just something I've I've heard slash seen a little bit of is that if they were going to do this to a company, they would prefer to do one that they don't care for. And there's, I mean, it's a long running meme that gamers don't like GameStop, right? I say this having just bought stuff from GameStop, uh, but it's, it, so it's a long running meme um, in that sense. And so, you know, if, if this causes anything bad to happen to GameStop, I mean, it's kind of like whatever, because I don't think people are going to be that upset if GameStop just stops existing for whatever reason. I, I mean, and Reddit isn't the only, uh, 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 you know, kind of platform where I think gamers have, I, I don't know, um, maybe uh, come together. Like, obviously, Twitch is a, is a big place for gamers to come together. And in fact, AOC uses it frequently to... Uh, communicate, I, I mean, not just with her constituents, but, you know, people in general. I mean, is there a, a, an, a kind of confluence of that politicians, especially maybe younger politicians, see that there are these new platforms that just so happen to have to be, you know, friendly for gamers as a new place to actually speak to people that could be uh, turned in, into people that actually do care about politics or at least care about changing things through a political mechanism. Sure. I mean, I definitely think that there's possibility for that. Like if you want to think of it as a uh, form of potential political energy, uh, I definitely think that it's there. Uh, to a certain degree, uh, AOC's act of playing among us on Twitch with a bunch of other pretty big-time Twitch streamers is uh, proof of concept, right? And they and I and I watched. I honestly, I watched the whole thing because I'm frequently watching Twitch, and some of my favorite streamers were also playing uh, with her. And I think the 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 fact that she sort of built it as a only slightly get out the vote sort of uh, event um, was probably the way to do it. 
if we're just looking at it from sort of a mechanics way of increasing voter turnout and voter enthusiasm, etc. But it's, it's, I think it's, it's definitely difficult to do. Uh, and part of that is the whole, um, you know, people who play video games, at least to a certain extent, they don't want politics in their video games. But another kind of point of it is if you, I guess, try too hard, it just comes off as inauthentic, right? You know, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up the whole Pokemon go to the polls, uh, I would say, fiasco of Hillary Clinton. You know, her supporters might have liked it in that uh, it was some type of stadium, I think. But that's just just kind of cringy like she even admitted herself that she doesn't know what pokemon go is Mm -hmm. and so i mean she just comes off as this uninformed kind of individual who's just trying to score political points and if there's anything that probably turns off young people to engaging in the political process it's politicians being cringy and boring but i think aoc did it differently and did it arguably more successfully because she was actually playing the game. She was actually having fun, engaging with streamers, talking with them, having these discussions and feuds and whatnot forming. You know, there were highlightable moments within that context. So if politicians and activists want to utilize gaming as a platform for increasing these uh, political activism, we'll say, they, they would need to go about it the right way. They need to lean more towards AOC, less towards Pokemon Go to the polls, right? And that's not easy to do because in a lot of cases, uh, these politicians just don't want to play these games or they don't know how to play these games. They don't know what games to pick because video games are, revol- are a constantly revolving door of what's, you know, the thing to play on Twitch. Right now, Grand Theft Auto V is kind of making a bit of a comeback across Twitch, even though that game's old as dirt at this point. But but they're playing it in arguably kind of a political way, even, because there's this thing. It's called No Pixel. Um, some you you don't you probably don't know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so just real quick, but it's it's essentially um this mod for Grand Theft Auto V, and I'm assuming you kind of have the gist of Grand Theft Auto V a little bit. Um, but the Grand Theft Auto ness of the game is sort of put to the side, and it's all this additional technology that's thrown in the game because modding video games and changing them in different ways is a huge thing within the video game community. And it basically allows individuals, mainly streamers, to insert themselves within this game world, and they talk within the game world and interact with it, and most of them come up with sort of personas for themselves. So it's, it's, it's role-playing or RP, you know, it's not so much them playing Grand Theft Auto V, it's them creating a character and interacting with other people, right? And that that sounds kind of weird and boring, but it's kind of it's the kind of thing that you just you know, you get it or you don't, and it that's the kind of thing that's gonna be really hard for politicians to get because they're just gonna they kind of need to be ingratiated within the community and with how and why it's being successful rather than just slapping a sticker on their campaign that it's like, <laughs> Oh, Hey, I think video games are cool. So I just want to mention that we have a comment in the chat on Twitch that says I've met with and played with many people in different countries before in online gaming. It really can bring diverse groups of people together. So, and I think it was, particularly salient to our last comment. I just wanted to make sure that y'all heard it and saw it. Uh, yeah. Um, I actually, I actually kind of have a point on that. If you, if you don't want to, so I, I do think that that's absolutely true. Uh, the, the ability of people to experience, uh, diversity, especially like global diversity, uh, within the context of video games is there. Uh, that's absolutely a thing that happens. However, the point I would make and the point I would stress is that not all games are created equal on that front, right? So you have some games where you can play with people from wildly different backgrounds than you with wildly different cultures and even languages and still effectively play with them and experience them and get to have that sense of human connection. And it can be definitely a force for good. 
but not all games have you play with other people like that. Not all games have you knowing who the other other player is in that same way. This is something I'm trying to like look at more specifically uh, within my own research, is that some games, they almost go out of their way to otherize the people that you're playing against because it's good for like competition. For instance, you look at games like just as a random example, like league of legends, for instance, very popular, widely played game. When you're playing with people in a game like that, you're often just playing with your friends or people that you at least know or have natural access to in some ways. So usually people within your area or people that aren't outside of your own demographic. And then the people you're playing against, you're not really hearing them talk. They're not able to express themselves in any way other than firing back at you. <laughs> so the ability and the pressure, I would even say, in some of these games within some of these communities is to otherize the people you're playing against. And I think, and this is kind of pessimistic, that there are some games, because of their very design can create sort of this contentious nature with other groups, right? Because you're kind of in your own microcosm, kind of like an echo chamber, if you will, where you're just playing with people you know, and the people you're playing against could be anybody. So you have uh, instances of like toxicity in these games that are just very prevalent. I mean, anyone who's played these games, they they know what I'm talking about. Uh, The amount of profanity and disparaging of different groups in some of these games is just huge uh it's it makes it tough to play some of these games a lot of times especially for individuals that find themselves as parts of those groups i think that's that's part of why it's very hard for uh women to uh, participate in a lot of online games even though they very much want to because they don't want to be shouted at when they're playing (laughs) and disparaged while they're playing because who would want that so when you have games like that, it's it's tough for those people to play, so then they don't play, so then it just kind of further continues the existence of these games as actually being fortresses, if you will, for these individuals to just sort of hear their friends, they hear the disparaging comments of their friends, they just keep hearing those comments, they start making them themselves, and they aren't exposed to the other cultures and ways of being and that diversity. So I think it's it's very dependent, in my opinion, it's part of what I'm looking at, of how these games are played is very important on that front. Yeah, I mean, it, it sounds like design matters, which I, I fully can believe is true. But I'm also wondering, and maybe this is a chicken and egg question, I don't know. But so I'm thinking of, you mentioned RPGs, and, and I think of also JRPGs. But I, I would I would also think that in many ways, playing video games, uh, like, and I, again, I'll throw back to Persona 5, where you're, you're in, uh, right, Shibuya Station, walking around, like getting to know some parts of Japan, and maybe some cultural differences between Americans and Japanese, although obviously they don't have cats that tell them to go to bed, but, but that that's something that you wouldn't, there are maybe some things that you could learn that you wouldn't without being able to travel there. And we know that travel broadens our understanding of things, but another game is uh, like cyberpunk 2077, where you can actually, right. I mean, but in, in any game, you can choose your gender, right. You can choose your sexual or gender identity. You can choose uh, your sexual organs and maybe those don't match what you have, but maybe it gives you a sense of an experience that you couldn't get otherwise. I mean, is that is it that th- these games are changing the folks that play them, or is it that the games are changing because the folks that play them are different? I mean, I mean, it's definitely kind of a, a I'll admit chicken egg. It's it's probably there is both going on. I would argue. Uh, you mentioned uh, like. So it's kind of it's kind of two different uh, things that you brought up, right? It's it's getting to experience these things and being allowed to express yourself in those ways. Getting getting to experience things, uh, yeah, sure. I, I I think that's that's probably up there of just getting to experience different locales. Um, I would say the the example or the thing that I would probably lend myself more towards that I think might end up being more impactful on that front is getting to see representation 
uh, rather than uh, just locales. Just for instance, the existence of uh, LGBTQ uh, individuals within games has just skyrocketed in recent years um, within probably the last 10 years because it didn't used to be that way. It used to be where uh, there's even instances, there's uh, this like recent one, for instance, uh, where uh, there's this, there's this one series uh, that I very much enjoy. It's called Mass Effect. And there's this, uh, I think it was a report or an interview or something came out where in the development of the second game, Mass Effect 2, there was uh, this character, her name was Jack, and she was supposed to be uh, like a clearly LGBT uh, individual. Uh, it, she was supposed to be romanceable by both um, male and female players. But there was a backlash against that. Uh, they specifically cited like Fox News and some of their supporters being like having this contention about that. And ultimately, the producers of the games uh, stripped it. Like they they made the call, and instead sh- uh, she was portrayed as being overtly straight, as opposed to um, I believe they said that she was uh, like bisexual or pansexual within that context. But nowadays, uh, you have a plethora of options and individuals and diversity uh, within countless games that uh, show and show in a very human and sympathetic way members of the LGBTQ community, um, African-Americans, people from other cultures, people of different uh, languages and backgrounds, just the the whole gambit, if you will. And some games do this a little bit more offhandedly and some just straight up go for it. I think there's probably purpose and points to both of those. And I think, I don't know, in, in my own personal opinion, it's a little, it's a little tough. I'd, I'd like to see games do better and just continue to do better because you bring up uh, like cyberpunk 2077, which I, I played, I, uh, I mean, I beat it myself. So like I experienced the story of it, but there was a backlash um, from sort of the progressive side against uh, CD Projekt Red when they were in development of this game. Uh, there was like two things that came out. There was some instances, I believe, uh, where there was accusations of some transphobia uh, within the company and uh, probably a little bit more prevalent. Maybe that's not the best word, but the other thing that came out of it was um, the way, and I played the game so I can contest that this is how it works, the way in which your characters... Uh, gender is sort of selected is it's more based off of like the tone of voice that you select so you either choose the masculine tone of voice or the feminine tone of voice as they describe it and that dictates and they they straight up tell you that this will dictate the pronouns that people use for you and members of the transgender community and others were pointing out that like hey why don't you just let them pick their pronouns and also let them pick their tone of voice because they do do the other things really well. Uh, Cyberpunk is definitely, I mean, you have to admit on the forefront of allowing individuals to select whatever genitalia they want. Although Um, I'll point out there were multiple choices for penises and really only one choice for vulva. (laughs) Yes, that, that was true. Yes, that is that that is a fair point. Um, not all uh, not all vulvers are created equal. <laughs> Just live, you know, live Twitch. Uh, sure. <laughs> uh, so yeah, there there, but to a certain extent, there were there are some people who would uh, come back at that because the far bigger at the end of the day controversy for Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven was the fact that it was released way before it should have been. Way um, too. Yeah, that. That game was a mess. I enjoyed myself. There were some good bits of it. There were some good stories. Some very human, I would say, political things. Something I don't think gets enough attention, honestly, is uh, the game has multiple endings, right? And one of the endings that you can select, just anyone can select it when the time comes, is there is a what would be described as a suicide ending within that game, where you can actively choose this it's sort of a no win situation i won't do spoilers sorry if that's a spoiler for cyberpunk i guess but you you can essentially have your character just say screw it and just peace out in a very dramatic fashion um that's actually the ending i selected my first time through because i don't know i just kind of for weird reasons i guess with how i was like interacting with the game at that point because i was a little disjected but uh whatever but the end credits of the game, right? 
they have this instance and they do this thing where in the end credits for any ending, you see the characters that you've come to you know, know and love throughout the game. Whatever ending you choose, they sort of give you highlights and they're like talking to you because within the world of this game, the way that people do mourning and funerals is they kind of send videos to like a person's like grave, if you will, right? Um, so if you select this ending, the, you have all these instances of these characters being like, you like why did you do this i'm so angry and it's it's very powerful in that way like the the voice acting work for this ending just tears your heartstrings and there's just these lines like uh this this one character's like i don't think you knew how many friends you had and stuff like that and i'm just watching this i'm just like you know feeling it uh and I mean, I don't, I don't think stuff like that got this, this very kind of real, I would say, portrayal of this horrible situation and sort of promoting that, like, hey, this is not an option. You should always, you know, work uh, to not do that. So, you know, the, and I would say that in some ways that is a very uh, political thing for them to do. Yeah, I, I mean, even in Hellblade, uh, and and I, I think Hellblade, well, they must in Hellblade too. Right, they take on mental health as a very central issue um, in the game, and I, I just I find it fascinating. Uh, I don't, I don't. Again, you're right. You probably is both chicken and egg. I don't know what the root of it is, but I think it is um, indicative that maybe there's a, a broadening of minds there. So, uh, any uh, any other Twitch comments, Ashley? Yeah, so I just had one more that said, as someone who has played Cyberpunk, I really appreciate that and agree with what has been said. So acknowledgement that thinking about the, the ending, thinking about mental health is my interpretation of that comment. So, yeah. So I um, I don't have any other questions. I put it out there, asked if they had any questions for you. I haven't gotten any um, yet. But I want to, this is how we always end our podcast, which is, do you have any final comments, any words of wisdom for our listeners? And I'm going to put in a tiny little asterisk because at the very beginning, people on Twitch didn't get you, get a chance for you, get a chance to hear you say um, what it is that you study. And I think it came out in our conversation, but if you want to do final words of wisdom and a little asterisk that says, I study this and this is what I study, that would be super awesome. Sure. Um, I could just start with what I'm studying, which is the uh, effects that uh, playing video games and the video game community can have on the personal uh, political attitudes and behaviors, political behaviors of individuals. And I'm, I would I would do a, a little asterisk of my own and saying I'm kind of doing a bit of a broad net as far as what those effects necessarily are and how they might come about. As far as last words of wisdom. Hmm. Everybody struggles with this. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, talk, I talked earlier about how I think it's very, uh, I, think it's, I think it's a very human thing to enjoy video games. And I think that's uh, sort of obvious if you look at sort of the two main reasons why people play video games. And the first one being sort of this idea of camaraderie, companionship, and competition where you want to interact with people. Social interaction is a very human thing. And I think especially in COVID times, we could probably all use a little more social interaction. Video games are a great way to do that. Personally, I've been trying to play more video games with my friends and it, you know, it makes for a good, uh, quality time to get to do something together because we can't do things in person as much as we would like to. And the other thing I would say is I'm a firm believer in the fact that there, I I think that there is a certain human quality to the, what I would say the call to adventure within everyone. I think it's a very human thing. And I think in today's day and age, the ability to experience that, to go out and to seek and to explore one's world is non-existent, especially for individuals of lower uh, socioeconomic status or even moderate socioeconomic status. And especially in COVID times, you can't go to Hawaii and feel that satisfaction of experiencing the world, right? Not only that, but you just might not have the money to do that. 
Um, and that, that for me is part of uh, what I enjoy so much about video games is because there's, there's something inside me that just wants to explore and adventure and discover the unknown. And that is to a T what video games, especially certain ones are seeking to do. Uh, you look at uh, video games like the legend of Zelda, for instance, is a great example. Uh, so I guess my, my, my suggestion or piece of wisdom would be everyone should try to as best they can play uh, a game like uh, breath of the wild. Um, that is a fantastic game. Great. If you've never played a video game, I would say even still give it a shot because you know it's beautiful and you'll get to experience that sense of wonder and adventure that I, I don't think people necessarily get enough in their normal everyday lives. I have a quick question from a uh, sure. someone in the chat that says, do you have a Twitch or anything else that they can follow? Because people are interested in hearing more from you. I do have a Twitch. I, I, I'll admit, I, I want, I would love to do like some streaming or something. Um, I just, part of me, I tried it once, but like only my friends kind of came in and watched me. But I, th- I think I have the voice and the attitude for it, maybe a little bit. But I don't know. Maybe I'm a little too shy for that. Um, maybe now's the time to start. Come on. Yeah, maybe now's the time. Uh, I do have a great, a great new mic now. Uh, so that's 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 one step in the right direction, right? I do have a Twitch. Um, it's reluctant. He's like, I do. I'm, I'm reluctant. Share it. Share it. Share it. So I'm reluctant to say because, and this is sort of a part of gamer culture for people who might not be aware. And this is actually a pretty big thing about gamer culture. I wish I brought this up earlier. Is the existence of uh, like gamer tags, right? Which is just how people know you online. And most of the time, people will just have one. They'll stick with it and they'll use it for every game and every system and device, right? I've changed mine over the years. My current one is uh fancy pangolin uh they can probably find me by searching that on twitch i can't guarantee i'm gonna start streaming anytime soon but if they see me in a chat or something i am fancy pangolin i could explain to you why it's fancy pangolin but it's it's a it's a very boring story actually it's not boring it's just a very weird story but uh, maybe someone can ask me that independently because it's (laughs) it's a story i don't want to take up too much time uh any, any other comments? Yeah, this person said I've nodded along with almost everything that has been said and really appreciate this stream. Question for Dan. Does he have a favorite game? Oh, Ooh, favorite game. Yes. Um, my go-to, obviously, you know, it's like Animal Crossing. How do, how do you, it's not, I am a big fan of Animal Crossing. Animal Yay! Crossing is a great game. It's also a game. I totally think if you're looking for an entry point into playing video games, Animal Crossing, great one. My mother has actually been playing some Animal Crossing and I think she's enjoying it. So that's nice. So big fan of Animal Crossing. It is not my favorite game. Um, <laughs> my go-to for favorite game of all time is probably a game called Bioshock Infinite, which is a sequel-ish to the original Bioshock 1 and 2. It's it's just a fantastic game. It's it's beautiful. You're playing in a city in the clouds and to the point of the podcast, it is a very political game. The essence of the game is you sort of fighting back but also not fighting back against this sort of totalian religious organization that is literally seeking to bathe the world in fire and it just sends you on this trip across time and space trying to rescue i don't know it's kind of an old game so i don't know if i should give spoilers or not um rescue a young woman i'll just leave it at that but there's there's a lot of just beautiful moments in the game and they do this real like question and tease of like what is free will and what does it like mean to like own your own destiny and it's just it's just a fantastic game from beginning to end so that's that's probably my go to that's my go-to of favorite game whether or not it is I'm not exactly sure. I'd have to think about it. I've been enjoying some recent stuff. Well, people are liking your comments in the in the chat. So, yes, Bioshock. I was going to ask for an opinion of Bioshock, especially because it's political. Um, the entire series is great. So, I mean, people are, just so you know, people are interacting with us. Um, so to, to that end, I would say I have not played Bioshock 1 or 2. They're on my bucket video game list, but so are just a million other things. Um, I'm finally getting around to one that my friend... Uh, Hi, Caleb, if you're watching. Uh, he's a big fan. It's it's called uh, Fire Emblem Three Houses. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, so I'm I'm finally getting around to playing that because it's 
it's probably been a year since he started playing has been wanting me to play it the whole time it's it is a great game and i have been enjoying it i'm like just on the final battle so what are your thoughts about why backlash against last of us 2 i mean not only for the fact that right there was a a, a, a gay couple that was that was central in the story but also because one of the main characters was i mean ostensibly uh gender uh uh, uh not I won't say non-binary, but um, right didn't didn't fit a typical gender stereotype uh, in that she she identified yeah. as female, but but definitely wasn't uh, projecting herself as as typical female. And yet, I mean, there was some initial backlash, and that seemed to quiet down. Yeah, personally, I have not played The Last of Us Part Two or The Last of Us Part One or just the last of us um the only reason for that literally the only reason is i've never owned a playstation and those are games that just happen to be more on well, PlayStation. now's a bad time to get a playstation 5 <laughs> I yeah. um, i've always been more of a person to play pc games xbox and nintendo just throughout my life nothing wrong i have nothing against playstation i'm not one for the console wars that exist <laughs> i i think people should just play whatever they have and whatever they can get access to so I, I haven't played it, so I can't I can't talk too specifically on it. That being said, I do understand what you're talking about. And I think it kind of comes from two places. Though the one place that I have seen a lot of is um those reactionary conservative parts of the gaming community that I was referencing earlier. They I in my experience, um, from what I've seen, they tend to do this thing where they try to come up with more reasons to hate on something than they innately have. So for a lot of them, they can't just be like, I don't like The Last of Us Part Two because it gives too much attention to LGBT people. They can't just do that in this day and age because people kind of knock them down. So they kind of pivot, right? So they do this thing, for instance, where uh, one of the things that happened with The Last of Us Part Two is it got really good game reviews. One of the websites I... Sure, right, exactly. One of the websites that I frequent for gaming news is uh, IGN, right? Mm-hmm. And this is just uh, as an example of kind of what I'm talking about. IGN gave it, I believe, like a perfect score, like a 10 out of 10. They were like, this is a masterpiece of a game. You should absolutely play it. And these conservative individuals, maybe not even just conservative, but these reactionary individuals took that as proof that the game industry is rigged, right? That these games aren't that good. And maybe maybe The Last of Us Part Two wasn't a 10 out of 10 game. Uh, who cares? It's a great game. You should play it. You shouldn't base your opinion off of one website saying that it was a perfect game. That's nonsense if you do that. I've, by all means, I've absolutely disagreed with some of IGN's opinions of other games. That's just having an opinion. But they latch onto that. And they use it. So when I'm looking at IGN articles, you'll often see comments that are literally has the, the post has nothing to do with The Last of Us Part Two. It'll be talking about something completely wildly different or a different game that they're reviewing or something. And you'll see comments by these people. And it's just Last of Us Two, 10 out of 10. Again and again and again. And the reason they're posting that is because they're trying to make fun of IGN for giving this game a good score. Because they're mad at the game. Because at the end of the day, why do they really care that IGN gave them a 10 out of 10? They're a random website that these people probably don't care about. They obviously want to make fun of IGN. So why do they care that IGN gave them a 10 out of 10? And they just see it as indicative of this like liberalization of the video game industry. And like, oh, you only gave it a 10 out of 10 because you want to support those games. Yeah. And I think that's kind of nonsense. And so they, they, they have those reactions to things but it's i i believe maybe someone can give it a little more nuance i've yet to see anyone able to effectively describe it in more nuance that they're just they just look they look for excuses to bash or disparage games that they disagree with just because they want to bash and disparage games that they disagree with because they have their own points of views and their own agendas that they're trying to put forward into the world i i find it really interesting to uh look how these different gaming companies respond to external pressure or maybe even don't even get it. So I'm thinking of, uh, right, Steam, where Valve decided to take off a game because it included a school shooting, even though forever they said 
listen, it's like, you know, free speech. That's how we see it. This is our policy. We're not going to take stuff down. And then they did finally decide to take it down, yep. uh, but then got, you know, even more blowback. And yet you have a company like Humble Bundle, for instance, uh, where if you subscribe to it every month, you get all these free games, right? And and yet they're they're taking profits and giving it to charity. And it may be charities that you don't align with. And yet maybe you don't even check that out. And nobody, I've never heard anybody say any, anything bad about Humble Bundle. And, and so I'm just curious why these kind of different responses, is it just because of these kind of pinpoint events uh, or, or are, uh, is there something else in gamer culture that, that I'm not understanding? I mean, I think to a certain degree, I mean, it's, it's, it's it's harder to have a backlash against something when it's more widely accepted, right? So you so you are right. Um, there probably are absolutely charities that have received money from humble bundles that uh, you know are, maybe aren't perfect charities. Uh, that's probably just bound to happen because humble bundle tends to change the charities. My quick addendum to that is people can also just select how much money goes to charity. So if they don't agree with a charity, they can just be like, no, none to those people. I mean, I think I might've even done that once or twice when I I've bought and I've bought uh, a few humble bundles myself, barely play any of the games I've gotten from them, but whatever it is (laughs) charity. So it's fine. Um, But no, they do good work. So I think it's, I think it's harder to combat it when it's something like that. But if you have these instances where it's easy to get upset at something because it's sort of uh, popular or it's making news for other reasons, uh, then those it's, it's easy to jump down the throat of those instances. Um, uh, one kind of example that has happened very recently is there is this game that is being revived now. Uh, this has been making the rounds a little bit news-wise. It's called Six Days in Fallujah. And it is a game that is purposefully and actively uh, marketing itself as a game where you are, I believe, uh, U.S. Marines during the invasion of Fallujah. And so the with that, um, when this game first came about... I think the first times it was being like worked on was back in like 2012. There was this backlash to that because the war was kind of not that uh, old. And so people had this reaction. It was just like this, this just happened and you're already making a game out of it. Like this is too soon. You need to calm down. Uh, But now it's being revived. And what's happening is uh, at least I've seen is the conservative side of gaming community is uh, really, you know, building themselves up around this game, right? They're they're seeing this game as like, oh, the SJWs are losing. Uh, this game's getting made. Like, yes, like finally uh, an honest marine combat game where I can shoot up Middle Eastern people. Yeah, don't take that out of context, please. Um, I'm doing a caricature. Um, so. They're excited about this game, but most of the reason I would argue that they're excited about this game is because they think that it's making SJW liberal snowflakes mad. Mm-hmm. But I, 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 I might hold my breath a little bit on that. And this is a comment I, I, I have made is that I would, I would put my money on the chances that if a game like that is being made in today's era, it's probably not going to be quite as pro-American and like, yes, army good, other people bad, as some of these people might be hoping for. It might actually have a little bit more nuance than that. Part of the reason I think that is if you look even at uh, some games, my big example for this is uh, this game came out recently, Call of Duty uh, Cold War. Mm-hmm. Not that people play Call of Duty games for the story missions, <laughs> but if you play the story missions of Call of Duty Cold War, and there's you know a decent amount of them, the game is pretty actively critical of the United States in a lot of ways. For instance, one of the endings, also, I know this is spoilers, but no one plays Call of Duty games for the story, so I just don't care. Um, <laughs> one of the endings literally has your person, who is supposed to be this like CIA government agent, sleeper, soldier kind of person. Um, I didn't play it, I just watched it played, so sorry if I get a couple minor details wrong, but it basically comes out that the US government has been effectively brainwashing you. And this one ending has your supervisor just literally killing you, just 
out of nowhere because you're a loose end. And that is a that is a staunch and hard look at the way that the U.S. government is looking at its soldiers and looking at war and how we do war. And it's kind of critical. And on the other hand, it also straight up allows you to side with the Russians in the Cold War. And I mean, they're, they're painted as kind of a little bit caricature evil E, but it's not as like, you know, there, it, there are signs of it being sort of like, oh, we're doing what we think is right at the very least. They're not painting these Russian individuals as just these overtly bad monsters that should be destroyed, right? So I think I think that's that's something that people might be surprised to hear because no one plays Call of Duty, um, the, at least the storylines of it anyways. Um, so you, you, you see that. And like I said, of these games sort of evolving in their content and the way that they react to politics and put politics in their games, it's, it is constantly changing and it is constantly, I would say, getting a little bit more progressive on average as time goes on. Obviously, there's also some games that are just wildly progressive in a lot of ways. My favorite one of that would probably be Undertale, which is a wildly progressive game if you ever play it. Also, great game, super easy, super fun, great story, also very cheap. Another game recommendation is every. I think everyone should play Undertale because it's 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 a very fun game. That's awesome, Dan. I just I want to say thank you so much for joining us. I've learned a ton. Uh, it's probably pretty obvious from the conversation that Casey <laughs> is the one <laughs> uh, who was doing um, this. Um, but it, it was nice because then I could be looking at what everything else was going on. But thank you for being our guinea pig uh, in many ways for <laughs> our first live stream um, podcast episode. It was really a pleasure having you on. Thank you so much. Yep. Pleasure to be here. <laughs> and also, big thank you to Ben and Emily. Thank you so much for suggesting this. Next time, you guys will have to come on here. Thanks for listening to the Growing Democracy Podcast. I'm Casey Boyd-Swan, and as always, my co-host is Ashley Nichols. Our podcast is produced by David Yursa and edited by Jeremy Demery at Golden Ox Studio right here in Cleveland, Ohio, and supported by the American Political Science Association. If you like our show and want to know more, check out our website, growingdemocracyoh.org. If you want to watch the live broadcast of this episode, check out our Twitch account, twitch.tv backslash growingdemocracyoh, or go to our YouTube channel, which you can find on our website. Also, join us next time when we continue this conversation about political and civic engagement.